from our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the San Francisco Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast we have Danica Rome. You may know Danica because she's the first transgender person to be elected to a state legislature anywhere in the United States. And she's here in the Chronicle basement today on the podcast. But the more interesting thing that she has to talk about is that hey, she's a lesson, basically, for all political candidates of all genders everywhere. Find your Route 28. Listen and find out what that means. And you, this is a little bit long, but it's hilarious. She is very funny. More heavy metal references in this podcast than any podcast I've done since Diane Feinstein was on, to be honest. And she's sticking around for the bonus coverage at the end where she talks about how her greatest political teacher was the band Metallica. Yes, that's what you'll hear today on It's All Political. Danica, welcome to the lovely basement archives of the Chronicle and another episode of It's All Political. Welcome to San Francisco. Well, um, as um, an Italian woman, I am, of course, always going to take up the opportunity to talk to a Garofoli and there we get go. a chance. So, <laughs> yeah, let's do this. We will get to our Italian grandfathers soon. <sighs> Amazing. Um, you no, the, the, Explain the reason you're here in San Francisco. You were speaking to um, uh, Emerge America, which is the mm-hmm. San Francisco organization. They're in 25 states now, and they're, they're helping yep. uh, progressive women get elected. Well, they're helping Democratic women get elected. Democratic women, and You would probably assume most are progressive. <laughs> yeah, many, many of them are. Okay. And so you spoke to them today. I heard mm-hmm. you speak to them. Um, uh, what was, tell, tell us, first of all, before we get into the Danica story, how did, how did they help you? Um, so last year... Um, back in, in February of last year, uh, I had announced my candidacy January 3rd, 2017, um, to run for the 13th district of the Virginia House of Delegates, mm-hmm. where you know I was taking on a 26-year incumbent, and I knew that I had, you know, I had a really good foundation in politics from having covered it as a news reporter. Um, for the Gainesville Times in my lifelong home county of Prince William County in Virginia for nine years, two months, and two weeks, followed by a year and a third over at the Montgomery County Sentinel over in Rockville, Maryland. And I had gone to the Gay and Lesbian Victory Institute's candidate campaign training program um, November 17th through 20th in 2016, right after the 2016 election, basically. And Along with picking up a midnight release of Metallica's last album while I was there, that was cool. Um, I was. I also, you know, learned a that's lot the of first, fundamentals. That's the first Metallica reference it's, ever on it's all political. I love this. Go the ahead. first, man. Yes. Well, weren't you guys around when Feinstein and dropped for all I, dropped Diane Feinstein dropped? Yeah, it was like second, D- Diane Feinstein yes, came yeah. in over. She was just like, "Nothing can save you. Justice is lost." <laughs> yeah, that that would have been the one. Um, so basically, I had you know done four days of training with the Victory Institute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they train LGBTQ candidates to run for office. And at the same time, Julie Copeland, the executive director of Emerge Virginia, she had reached out to me and she invited me to, you know, attend um, the Emerge uh, Virginia's boot camp training, uh, boot camp. So along Emerge America and their state affiliates, they run basically like kind of like 
year-long programs or just like these right. long programs where you just kind of go through the stuff like every so often once a month or however mm-hmm. many times a month. Mm-hmm. The boot camp is basically three days in a row mm-hmm. where you get together for like three to argue like, like eight to ten hours or so and you go over all the basics of campaigning. Probably help you right. shape you as a campaigner. Right, right. With, and they, with, with but the, what's nice like. with this though is you're surrounded entirely by women and yeah. then like the occasional male consultant will walk in and then just basically speak loudly at you and then you go like that's cute leave um <laughs> and it's like all right that's fine but mm-hmm. aside from um you know ignoring men which is really fun yeah. you know, um especially to do in small settings yeah. hey joe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what i was Just stick with me for the rest of the podcast i know <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying here um, so what I was, um, what what that basically did was it reinforced a lot of what I had learned at the Victory Institute, and at the same time, like it was more localized to Virginia as opposed to a national training. Mm-hmm. So we were, you know, for example, we were able to look at how to use the Virginia Public Access Project VPAP, um, you know, which basically tells you all about here's who's donating to campaigns, here's X, Y, and Z, how to use the list that they have there of all these past donors. And understand, like, okay, here's how you can use that to help out with your own fundraising. Here's, you know, some strategies for knocking on doors. Here's different strategies for X, Y, and Z different things. And we do that over three days. And, well, you know, just from the class I trained with, eight of us ended up winning. And one of the other candidates who won, Holly Yala, she had trained with them previously. It's in the Virginia House of Right, in the Virginia House of Delegates. All, all knocked off incumbents, correct? Right, right. I mean, so of the 15 red to blue um, flips <clears throat> that we had, we had nine emerge um, <clears throat> alumni actually win, and I was one of them. And it was funny, you know, just being a trans woman and getting attacked, you know, from the uh, – you know, from certain folks will just be charitable um, and questioning my gender and everything. It's just like, well, Emerge only trains Democratic women to run for And you asked office. them about this, right? When you, yeah, you, you, that, tell, explain, that, you told that story today. That was, that was what, quick. What did you, what so, did you, uh, you it, said, hey, do you, yeah, you it was cool just like, this, Yeah, yeah, no, no, I had, this was after the election. I okay. had talked, yeah, like after the election, um, I had talked to Andrew Steele, um, who's Emerge's um, founder and president. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, you know, did you guys actually have a conversation about, you know, um, taking trans women to your program? And she's like, yeah, it had come up, but it was pretty short. It was like, well, trans women are women. We train women to run. We train trans women to run. Yes. And so it was just like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense, of course. Yeah. And so it's like, well, and it was just like, she's like, look, we're very progressive and we understand. We we get it. It was just like, oh, I don't have to explain what my life is to you. Great. Now let's just talk about public policy and yeah, campaigns. Yeah. Well, the, I was I've been looking forward to talking to you for for weeks now because uh, when I heard you were coming out here because you have a fascinating story other than you know, in addition to I should say the historical impact of I know I'm of one you. of two reporters who just won that is very <laughs> that is one thing you were a former journalist you're a uh, a former I guess kind of current or uh, you still you don't sing with your band anymore but you're uh, a heavy yeah. metal uh, uh, performer singer and yeah, guitarist did as well. that for you know better part of 12 years yeah, so, yeah. and um, you uh, you you grew up in uh, Virginia and um you and your campaign your wasn't well. about – You're so good at reading notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> you're, blowing the, you're blowing the theater of the I mind. Know, sorry. I know. Destroying <laughs> the fourth wall. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, um, you, didn't, you didn't campaign on your identity politics as no. other things. You campaigned on Route 28, which, right. I, which I've written about. And, yes. And, and it's a lesson to many candidates. I, I think the way that you – didn't you write it was like 
if I remember your uh, piece, there is like other candidates need to find their Route 28. Yes. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I do remember that. And that is one adorable. And uh, <laughs> second, if like, I, I get the point of that. Yes, you should know your district and you right. should be campaigning on the issues that are directly impacting the lives of the people who you're running to serve. Well, yes, let's, that clearly let's, makes sense. Let's back up and, 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 and get to the, <laughs> uh, get the Danica thing. story here. So you're uh, born in Manassas. On, yeah, I was born uh, on Route 28 in Russia. Born- <laughs> no, I was born in Prince William Hospital in Manassas, September 30th, 1984. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, raised by your grandpa, correct? No, raised and by my mom, mother. Your mother and, and your grandpa. No, was originally, so it's like my dad died when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. And so my mom, my sister, and I, you know, were left in a brand new home um, mm-hmm. over in Manassas. And, well, home was older, but, you know, we had just moved in in yeah. 1987. And, you know, within the next year, my grandfather and my grandmother moved in from mm-hmm. my mom's side of the family. Well, my grandmother, she had um, Parkinson's, and so mm. she died a few years later. And so, you know, like the core family unit, you know, for a long time, just like in terms of like living at the house, um, you know, for 18 years was, you know, my grandfather, my mom, my sister, and me. Um, and, you know, my grandfather died in 2008. I was very close with them. Mm. And, you know, um, it was... What's a good way to put it? Um, one of the worst moments of the campaign happened the seventh day of the campaign, mm-hmm. where a conversion therapy advocate sent an email to Delegate Marshall, to the Speaker of the House, Bill Howell, to the executive editor of my former newspaper, the Gainesville Times, as well as to myself, saying that the reason um, I am transgender is because my dad died when I was a kid and my grandfather was an inadequate male role model. And it was just like... At that point, you have to take a moment as a candidate and you go like, I can't just go with that response of like, I want to bury you under a pile of bricks. It's just like, no, you have to flip the script on that. And you have to take something so horrendously negative, not to mention just wrong and false and terrible, but just to take that negative and turn it into a positive. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to address that head on and we're going to raise money off of it. And we did. And basically saying, help us fight hate speech like this. And we did. And, and that's what you and yeah. You, now you've seen that stuff as a as a reporter for years. What was it like to feel that as a candidate? I mean, as you know, you probably reported on these type of attacks I, for years. I so knew certainly not that. I knew what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. It's just as a reporter. Here's the funny thing: like as a reporter, you are criticized for your stories, and you're criticized for perceived bias. That is the big one. And as a reporter. I was told I was too conservative, I was too liberal, I was too this, I was too that. Anytime that all the people are, you know, basically ganging up on you, it's just like, oh, I guess I did my job right today. (laughs) Where it's like, journalism is neutral, disinterested, third-party observation, Mm -hmm. and, you know, where you vet facts as opposed to reporting alternative facts. Um, And, you know, you hold government officials accountable, regardless of the letter next to their name, so that... You know, the public and the people who are reading or consuming you know, your your news, the yeah. stuff that you're writing, actually have a more informed worldview. Yeah. And so with having you know a neutral set of facts, we can then take those facts and, you know, they can influence our opinions and the decisions that we make. But we have a neutral set of facts that we all work for them, right. from the problem in, that we have in modern society on this is that we now want information that reinforces our worldview as opposed to being neutral. Yeah. And that is dangerous for America. Yeah. 
So Tony Hall's to put that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's, if we don't have that, we're, it's, the game's over. We're right, and especially with, a, with, a, with the same set of facts. I mean, and here's the thing: like in a, in a newspaper, um, once it's printed, it cannot be changed. It is finite. And that means it is not a newspaper is not subject to being hacked. A newspaper is not subject to because it is a piece of paper with ink, a physical copy. Right. Thus, I tell you know when I you know uh, go and lecture at my journalism school or I just talk in general and anyone ever gives me the platform to do so. Hello, microphone. Um, I encourage people to read a physical copy of the newspaper because what is there today is still going to be there in like ten years, and we are surrounded right now in the bunker of the you know San. Francisco Time or San Francisco Chronicle, surrounded by newspapers and possibly a fallout shelter. <laughs> God, I hope not, because I think it would, it would cave in. Um, oh man, I just hope you have like the <laughs> fridge of cheese somewhere. <laughs> so your grandpa turned you on the newspapers and turn, yeah. turned into journalism. Yeah, he he would read a newspaper every single day. And I really remember, like one day, I was like, my mom was driving me to school, and he came out to the garage as right as we we're getting out, and he's like, "You forgot to bring my newspaper yesterday." So. I had um, newspapers and the importance of newspapers ingrained to me, you know, from a very early age. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I grew up, you know, reading uh, the Manassas News and Messenger, uh, the Potomac News and the Washington Post, you know, basically every day. And you went to uh, you went to Catholic school. 13 oh, years. Oh, Conversion therapy did... doesn't work. <laughs> what? How did that how did that shape you? Were, and were you how were you feeling about yourself at that point? Um, In terms of your, your gender, were did you... Well, I knew I was trans, but I had no one to talk to about it, you know, because I was afraid. I was how, terrified. How young were you when you started? Well, I knew for sure. Like, I got into Catholic school at fourth grade, and by the time I was in fifth grade, I knew for sure. Really? There was no question. Or well, by the time I was fifth grade, I was like, yeah, pretty sure I'm trans. By the time I was in seventh grade, there was no question about it whatsoever. Like, I had a lot of figuring out that I did, you know, in about three years from fourth to seventh grade, basically, from the time I got into Catholic school. I was just like... Can't talk to family. Can't talk to anybody. I was just... Well, I didn't know anyone else who was like me. And the Mm -hmm. only other trans people who you would see depicted, you know, know, in in media were caricatures that you would see on, like, daytime talk shows. Or they were, you know, like the villain in Ace Ventura. Or they were the villain in Silence of the Lambs. And by the way, like, when I was a kid, I loved those movies. And, like, I know, like, you were a kid and you of Silence and Lambs, like, look, I have other things wrong with me, but this is not one of them. Um, it was just like, I, I, I really see um, having a lot of time for introspection and really figuring stuff out, and especially like, it's like, alright, you're developing into puberty, and you realize, hey, all the guy friends, my guy friends are just like, ogling over girls, and I just want to look like them instead of looking at them with lust you know what i mean yeah. it was just like i just want to just how come i can't do this oh because boys are supposed to do this girls and it was just a lot of awkwardness on top compounded on the awkwardness of I mean, being 10 or 12 years old so how did you where did you go did you did you lose yourself in something and was were you in the music then or were well, you or uh were sports you... at first and uh-huh. so it was just like i knew like i couldn't play baseball for even though I played baseball for eight years, I couldn't play very well. So yeah. if you remember that Saturday Night Live skit of Tunes is the Driving Cat, who I just happened to mention on the w- walk over here, of like, that's Tunes is, he can drive, just not very well. That was me playing ball, right? <laughs> and, so like, and half the time, coincidentally, ended up with me falling off a cliff. But um, 
And I grew up playing ball in the 13th district at Manass- well, the current incarnation of the 13th district at Manassas Park over at Manassas Park, uh, Yorkshire Little League. Uh-huh. So staying on message. We're there. Costello yeah. Park. What's up, y'all? Um, <laughs> and if you're listening to this, why? But um, <laughs> it'll come up in oppo research at some point down the road. My God, my whole life is opposition <laughs> research at this point. If 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 talking to Gareth Foley is what sank me, well, then <laughs> it's like, well, it's a good ride. <laughs> so, so you, you were playing ball, but that, that didn't work. Right, right, right. And, and then, and so like, you know, like I, I grew up, 13 I grew up years of Catholic school. My yeah. Goodness. But I mean, like I grew up loving the Los Angeles Dodgers okay. and I remember I got a concussion once in 10th grade, um, for the one year that I did wrestling. Cause like I needed to take an extracurricular and I wanted to take a self-defense class. And so it's like, this is an extracurricular self-defense class you, you could, you should take now along with, all of the anti-gay slurs that I got at the time, let alone actually being trans, mm-hmm. um, I also came out with a really nice concussion. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I remember like coming to in the trainer's office, and the trainer said like, "So what did you want? What do you want to be when you grow?" Up? Oh, I was like, first he had said like, "What day of the week is it?" I don't know. Like, what day of the cycle is it? I don't know. I just stop asking. And then it was just like, "Well, what do you want to be when you grow up?" I want to manage Los Angeles Dodgers. And he laughed. I goes, "Don't you laugh at my dreams?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you made it to St. Bonaventure's. Yeah, uh, my uh, my aunt and my uncle had both gone to Bonas, and my uncle actually played on the basketball team right after um, Bob Lanier did. Um, oh, wow, in yeah. the in the mid seventies, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, I went to St. Bonaventure. Uh, one of my uh, high school teachers, uh, my church teacher, actually, um, he had gone to Bonnes as well. And so um, I'd only to- toured two campuses, and I went to sh- like Shippensburg, and I was like, eh, nah, it's not very metal here at all. And then like I got to Bonnes, and it was like, yes, it's Catholic school, and there's someone flyering for an upcoming dog fashion disco show, which is like a metal band from Maryland. I was just like, oh, right on. And I saw, like, this other guy walking around in a Soulfly shirt. I was like, well, Sepultura is better, but whatever. And then I saw, like, this guy wearing an anti-Crombie shirt. And I was just like, all right, I found this place is the right one for me. <laughs> so when did you get into metal? Yeah. Um, freshman year of high school is, like, uh-huh. when I really got into it. But, like, I was starting to get into it in middle school. But, like, then I had just infinite more access because right. I went to a much bigger school. And Were you were playing and singing then or just just? Oh, God, no. Just the, yeah, it, okay. it, no. Yeah. Okay. When did you start doing that? Uh, college, like my sophomore, well, <laughs> high school tried and failed at that. So <laughs> that was a sore subject, <laughs> but, um, no, in college, uh, that's when I, um, started actually playing in show, like playing in a band. What was it about metal that appealed to you? It is audio rebellion. I love the intensity of it yeah. and the technicality of it. You know, I would like, I love to quote a line that, uh, Scotty Ann from Anthrax says, which is like the difference between punk and metal is like punk is F you and metal is F you and I can play. <laughs> <laughs> Metallica are, are, are yeah. wonderful musicians. Yeah. Look, yeah. like I grew, uh, my, my teens and most of my twenties were spent on a heavy diet of San Francisco Bay area thrash. Really? So, oh yeah. If you want to talk to me about like Metallica, Exodus, Death Angel, like, Let's go. Testament. Like, groovy. I, I will turn to Peter for that one, but I will. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peter, <laughs> have questions. So, the uh, engineers never speak. <laughs> They're to be not even seen nor heard. So, um, you, uh, but your first, I was reading your first semester mm-hmm. at 
Bonaventure did not go well. And for one, those of you out here right now, he's not one. looking at his notes. I'm not this looking at my notes. I memorized that part. Yeah. 1.1 GPA. Yeah, for my second, yeah, my second first, semester, my, my first semester the, was 1.1, and then second semester I got on Dean's list. Dean's list. I had gone to the academic happened? restoration program. Well, as my mother put it, I was 17 with my head up my ass, and I didn't go to. Uh, it, it, it's what's the way to put it? I went to all except for, all my classes except for two days. I took a four day weekend once, and I just went to metal shows all over, <clears> like everywhere from Cleveland to Providence, Rhode Island to Virginia, everywhere <laughs> in between. That's all I wanted to do. So I was participating in class. I was showing right. up to my classes. I just wasn't doing the work. Yeah. And go figure. I then took, it was like, you know, I went to the academic restoration program to basically, you know, get me not expelled. And it worked, you know. But um, they were convinced that I must have been skipping class. And it was, but it was like, and back in those days, you know, like, you ha- SATs without 1,600. And I had, like, a 1,200 SAT with no trying whatsoever. Like, wow. the day before I took the SAT or, like, in the lead up to taking the SAT, I had eaten three pancakes, wearing an Aussie hitchhiking to hell t-shirt, going to, you know, go over there. And I was, um, and I did no studying for it whatsoever. And so they were just flabbergasted. That was like, you have a 1200 SAT and you have a 1-1 GPA. What happened? <laughs> yeah, like, so oh they just gosh. assumed I was skipping classes. Like, no, I just don't like to do homework. But, but also, and then I took, it, then I became a reporter for 10 and a half years where you strictly do homework and that's all you do. That's all, it is homework. <laughs> yes. Being a reporter is kind of homework. But you, yep. I read somewhere also you were, you were drinking a lot then, right? Oh, but never an alcoholic. 20s? I was never... No, but like party, no, party drink. No, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, party drink. Yeah, 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 I mean, but that's like, welcome to my college. You know, it's like, yeah. yes, I, you know, did the same thing in college that every, just about every other person I was at college did. It's like, yeah, you know, but for, that was part of the escapism and Escaping part of, from... For, I know you want me to say gender dysphoria, and that's that's in there. That's part yeah, of it. No, we'll but it was just you know, like the inherent rebellion within heavy metal mm-hmm. and the atmosphere that's created within there. It's getting away from society as a whole, right? And just yeah. kind of like you know where you're around this group of like-minded individuals, and you're rocking out with people who actually understand the music, who understand the feeling that you're <clears throat> that you're experiencing. Um, and you don't have to explain it to other people. Like yeah. you just you get it, and so you party together. Your yeah. friends come from there. You know, it's you know I always say that you know, like heavy metal. When you're into it, it's not music; it's lifestyle. You yeah. know, it's like the music's part of it. It's just, but it's the aesthetic. It's you know the way you talk to your friends. It's you know the way you communicate. It's like wow, when you go to walk in open air in Germany. Like the three main languages that are spoken there are English, German, and people yelling "whacking" at each other. <laughs> <laughs> so did so you came back to Virginia and mm-hmm. you became a reporter? Yeah. And um, yeah, I got hired like a month after I graduated. And you're, you're a pretty good reporter. You won like a bunch of awards. Yeah. And um, what did you like about journalism? And by the way, well, one of the things I hate about journalism is having to do arts and craft shows in order to actually apply for these stupid awards in the first place. Like, oh, please feed my ego. I appreciate it. Like, it was something that we were required to do. And yeah. because we didn't have PDFs that we were submitting back then, we had to, I like, see, literally yes. cl- clip it out of the newspaper right. and staple it or, like, paste it or glue it, like, with Elmer's. As yes. if it was just, like, finally, my training and in second grade's kicked in. I remember take, cut this. your byline off, too. You have to cut your byline off so so they don't – so you don't pre- – the judges aren't, uh, oh, aren't biased. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not – I'm not sh- no, I, I think we had to keep – They might have had, had us keep ours, I think. Yeah. But – Long story short with that is it was just like I hated doing arts and crafts as part of my journalism career. <laughs> and it was just like, congratulations, you won a third place award for whatever, blah, 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 for continuing news story, you know, coverage for your coverage of the 50th House District and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, great, I don't care. 
absolutely fundamentally don't. But other people really do. And so you put it on the resume. It's like, yeah. you won seven Virginia Press Association Awards. You there won you first place for spot news reporting. And this is, uh, I mean, that's just, that's that's great. It's like, that's nice. I have everything else to do right now other <laughs> than like bask in the glory of a piece of paper. So what did you like about about reporting? Oh, I love speaking truth to power and love the idea that I don't care what letter is next to your name, that my job as a reporter when I'm interviewing someone is to talk to them as a peer. And that does not mean that I'm playing gotcha. And it also doesn't mean that I'm just going to let them walk all over me. Mm -hmm. When you're having a peer-to-peer discussion, you know, as a reporter who is, you know, you know, 21 years old and you're interviewing the attorney general or you know whoever it is that person is smarter than you they know more than you do but that means you need to do your research and you need to know enough about the topic that you're interviewing about or the topics you're interviewing about so that you can hold a peer-to-peer conversation with this person and you're you know that the part of that that's really important is having a very keen bs detector because as a reporter if you're just being a stenographer you ask the question they answer it you move on to the next question because you've scripted the entire interview yeah. and you're not asking follow up questions that means you're not listening and that means that you're allowing the person who is you know being interviewed to dictate the terms of the interview that picture's awesome but that's a complete aside. I know. Thank you for doing that. I got you. I, I just love Peter the Spider spot. Bust out the Metallica uh, folder of uh, I know of, uh, photos here. You can find Gary Holt. Oh man, if you if you do like, if you want to just like give him my number, just like hey, call Danica. She's a huge fan. That's cool. <laughs> um, so you. You you love the truth to power, speaking yeah, truth absolutely. to power part. And then when did you get into politics? I, I read it was like right after uh, George so, W. Bush when, yeah, he's, when he, he won the uh, constitutional amendment about uh, yes, yeah, so like I was time. already was uh, so I like in um, as soon as I got two thousand four. Yeah, so when I got into college in two thousand two, I became um, a news reporter for the my college radio station mm-hmm. WSBU eighty eight point three FM the buzz um, the buzz the buzz that's right number at the time the number three college radio station in the nation became really? number two and then my kids who I trained after by the time I graduated they made it the number one station in the nation nice. beat Emerson and given that uh, one of my other my other reporter colleague Chris Chris Hurst went to Emerson that's my one thing I get to go yep 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 <laughs> you're yep. still still dining out on yep, that one still still yep yeah yep, eleven years later I'll take that that's cool um, so. Basically, in 2002, I was doing news reporting, and that means that, like, when you're a general assignment reporter, you have to know something about politics. And so, like, I had a cursory knowledge of it, but I got into journalism because I just wanted to get paid to go write about heavy metal shows that I was going to for free. Kind of awesome, right? Like, that, what a life. That's amazing. And then I got kind of burned out on that, to be yeah. honest with you. Like, yeah. it was a very fun hobby to cover heavy metal and to write about heavy metal. Like, I enjoyed that a lot. But when you're dedicating volunteer two hours a day, seven days a week, and you're just like really, 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 really getting yourself into this and immersing in it, it just – it can burn you out. Yeah. And one of the most important things I've ever read since you – know, like when I was in college was a quote from Wayne Static, the former singer of Static X, who was actually based out of California and – well, he died, but whatever um, – who said, 
regarding being in music, it was he he stressed the importance of having a, a hobby that's completely unrelated to music. Well, being in politics is the same way. If you're in politics, you should be doing something else that's completely not politics because politics will burn you out. Or if you're getting obsessed with it, then you're going to get really insular really quick because yeah. you're not removing yourself from that bubble, uh, from that bubble. Sorry. Um, and in music, if you get really, really, really into it and you're not doing anything else, that can burn you out as well because then everything starts to sound the same. Every, you know, you've already know where, what's going on with this and this. This yeah. show is just going to be the same as it was the last 50 times you saw it. And some of us have seen the same band 50 times. Guilty. Really? Uh, who, do, who have you seen 50 times? Lacuna Coil, wow. band of Italy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I don't think I can make any, my any late band were, over the four. My, my, my late teens were fun. <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to just, like, follow bands on tour. I had a good time. Wow. And yeah. so uh, – you um, so you, but what sort of got you deeper into politics? Other than well, so it was like 2003 into 2004. That was when the constitutional amendment to ban marriage equality, you know, was proposed by the president of the United States. And I would want to know, like, why is that the case? Like, why? What stop gaps do the does the Senate have within the filibuster to prevent this? What does what has to happen in order for this to happen? And blah blah blah. I just got really, really into the 2004 election, like ridiculously into it. And following I had it my, at yeah, all. like I had you my campaigning though. No, 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 no. I was, yeah. you know, I was a reporter. So yeah. as a reporter, I had my personal opinions, yeah. you know, and my personal opinions were, you know, like expletive George W. Bush and like John Kerry will suffice. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, like <laughs> that's kind of the way it was yeah, for, <laughs> kind, for many people. Yeah. Kind of it was. Although it wasn't I, Bush. Yeah. Right. I, I was at Kerry's, um, uh, evening before um, the election um, rally in, in uh, Cleveland, and Bruce Springsteen played at that one actually. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah, it was just like yeah, I got a free Bruce Springsteen show. That was cool. And did um, so? Did you? Uh, of course, that that the the trigger for that constitutional amendment was started here in San Francisco when uh, Mayor Newsom uh, started uh, marrying people, uh, same sex couples, and such. Um, mm-hmm. Did you? Were you following that stuff out here? Yep. And what now? Where were you on your own personal journey at that point? Um, I had been coming out to like my girl dash friends, as in like women who I've been friends with. Yeah. Um, and then vicariously their boyfriends, just because they were in the same you know place, same time. But like I was terrified to come out to my guy friends because I thought it would affect or change my relationships with them. And really? So it's like I just didn't want anyone to think it's like, oh my god, you're coming on to me because you know like we're being jackasses playing outside or something. And it's just yeah. like no, no, like. I, it is literally impossible for me to be attracted romantically to a friend. I can't do it. No. Like it, I, it has to be like I have met you, and within this very short condensed time frame, it's like okay, we are talking to each other because we are trying to figure out if we are going to make this work. Versus you know, like once I'm a friend with someone, I just want to be your friend. There's no friends a, with benefits. Is not your, no not no. Because like I just, I just want it's like you, you were a genuinely cool human being, and I would like to spend you know, like time you know having fun with you that's yeah. cool and it's like what do you mean by having fun i mean going to shows and going yeah. to like the denny's at three in the morning what do you yeah. think yeah yeah <laughs> so then so then when did you come out to your to your guy friends when did that start happening mm-hmm. age uh that came that that started happening in like 2013 when oh, wow. the uh you know so i graduated college in 20, 2006 but 2013 was like when the um uh, the DOMA decision was coming up in the Supreme Court, mm. and I noticed, like, all my friends changing their Facebook profile photos to, like, the equality symbol, right? Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, if y'all are willing to walk the walk, you know, it's like, so long story short, that was the beginning of the coming out process. And without getting into too much detail, I didn't lose a single friend. Wow. And so that yeah. that was, that's great. Yeah. Um, did, 
You and then when did you start wanting to run for political office? When, when I was when, asked. No, <laughs> yeah. but, but really, I was no, but, a, I was, but, but I was how do you go from being a reporter run. to like someone just randomly asked you to run well, for political office? How, there has to be something. It goes that. with um, you open in your email and you see an email from the 2015 nominee for the seat and who says, "I can't run next year. Have you considered running? You'd be a really good candidate." Really? And then the next day, you get a phone call from. The from you know Delegate Rip Sullivan, who's the Virginia House Delegates Democratic Caucus recruiting chairman, yeah. saying, "Hey, how you consider running? You'd be a really good candidate." So that. Was but did that. you ever express interest in politics nope. before that? Well, I didn't. I never told anyone that I wanted to run, other than yeah. like maybe in jest or you know like if I was like having a fun night with friends or something like like one of my friends like you know acted the ass or whatever. I would say, like, oh, "There goes my political career," you know, just like something you know just like off the wall funny, you know, right. just trying to make a joke out of it. But it was nothing, something I ever just like took seriously. Although, like in college, at one point, I remember being in a magazine class and on there, like, where do you see yourself in ten years? And I was just like, outside of jail. Oh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> so I wrote down the card. I was like, I'll be an independent, representing the tenth dis- district of, uh, uh, of Virginia, in the United States House of Representatives. She's like, oh, that's cool. That's ambitious. Well. I thought independence could win, but you know, it's just like I, it's just like I, I got really, really into politics, but I definitely, at age twenty-one, did not see myself pursuing um, being the first trans lady reporter medal had to be elected. I, oh, and, and the only one. There's I'm a lot guessing, of adjective soup yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That is, um, so what? So you, you read the, the email, and then what? What did you do next? Did you? What was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was. <laughs> Nope. And I didn't even respond to it. And then I got the phone call the next day when I was in my newsroom. And so, you know, I I walked into the sports department because, like, the sports editor, he was out on a story. And so I just closed the door there. And there's, like, 10 feet of walking space. And I'm a pacer. So, like, I have to pace when I'm on the phone. Like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And turns out that's a neurological thing, by the way, that it's, like... Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you actually look up online about, like, why do people pace when they're on the phone, that is totally a thing. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah. All right. It just might have mean that we're just smarter. I don't know. Um, but there's supposed to be like some sort of instinct thing that it's just like, oh, well, because I don't have a human face that I'm talking to. It's like I'm supposed to be like moving around. But also the Italian genes, I have to just move. Constantly. I hear you. I hear you on that. Yeah. Did, did um, So you, you talked you went and you had this conversation. So what? How yeah. Did and then I, I, I talked to my um, I talked to my editor and I was like, hey, just, you know, you know, I was asked. And by this point. I my name even came up in the first place because in early 2016, you know, I went to my editor one day and keep my like I was living in Manassas, but my job was in Maryland, right? And um, I told my editor, I was like, "Hey, um, there's nine anti-LGBT bills that are up in the Virginia House delegates, um, and I would like to go down there and speak out because at that point, you know, I transitioned. I was, you know, well, you know, I was." established into my career, changed yeah. my, you know, legally changed my name, changed my byline, changed, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. And I was like, you know, it, with your permission, like, I want to make sure, like, I can go down there, but at the same time, not, you know, disturb my neutrality as a reporter. I just want to be able to, you know, fight for my rights, my civil rights at this point. When, and, like, speak out in, yeah, like, and publicly. Sp- okay. Well, yeah, like, you know, I want to lobby to kill oh. the bills. Okay. And, you know, my delegate had proposed two of them. Mm-hmm. And so... um my boss told me, he's like, well, you're talking about going to Richmond in Virginia, right? Right. Well, it's outside the newspaper's, you know, circulation area. And 
just because you're a reporter doesn't mean that you've given up your you know constitutional right to address grievances from your government hmm. or you know so it's just like oh oh okay and he's just gave me the same advice my former editor at my Gainesville Times newspaper gave me which was be smart don't do anything stupid and I've got your back <laughs> wow that's interesting because I know yeah. a lot of a lot of places I, I we, we can't even put up yard signs here at the Chronicle well, uh, yeah, we well, you, right? we you don't do, do that as a reporter yeah, yeah, no it's yeah. like I wouldn't be endorsing a candidate. Right. You know, I wouldn't put like a yard. I've never, I didn't even put my yard sign in front of my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, live in, I live in the woods. <laughs> like, I like yeah, living in the woods. Nobody would see it anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, there's like, oh my God, my neighbors who know I live here. <laughs> it's like, wow, can you believe Danica is supporting Danica for delegate? <laughs> wonder who she's voting for. So anyways, you, but you spoke yeah. out. And then what was that like? Because uh, that's, a, that's a transition going from being a reporter. And, well, and I was still said, a reporter. Outside. It's just like at that point, it, the transition was to becoming an advocate. Yeah. And I went to, you know, what is, I, I guess maybe the, the precipice was this is like election 2015. Um, the Prince William County School Board, um, even though all the candidates are technically independent, you know, like they had been endorsed by you know the party ca- committees, and the Democrats had taken five to three advantage, which was the first time that had ever happened. Um, and with that, I was like, well, I guess we could probably get the non-discrimination policy you know updated now, which would be really really nice to include gender identity and sexual orientation um, within for Prince William County schools. And so like I started you know having you know kind of conceptualizing what that would look like. And at the same time, when the General Assembly, you know, convened that January, I decided, all right, well, I went down four times to Richmond, um, and we managed to kill seven bills um, between subcommittee and committee. One bill we ran out the clock on on the floor, and the other bill the governor vetoed live on air on uh, WTOP. And so, you know, it worked. And by that point, I had caught the attention of, you know, Quality Virginia because I was checking in with them all the time. But... One of the 2015 nominee, so he has gay family members, and um, I that February I had the met 2015 with, nominee for your or, same yeah, seat for the right, seat you hold right. Now. And yeah. so in February 2016, I went to the first time I had ever gone to an equality Prince William brunch, and just to like meet him and meet, or I didn't even know he was going to be there. I just wanted to like go to this and find people in Prince William County who I could start talking about updating the non discrimination policy with. Turns out he showed up to that. And so I got to know him, and I was like, "Hey, I voted for you." And he's like, "Hey, we should talk." <laughs> he was planning to vote. He was planning to run again at that point. And Tim and I, we started talking to each other very frequently, um, so that you know we were in talks with uh, with each other. I started calling the school board chairman, um, and basically formulating a plan to get you know that school board non discrimination bill passed, or you know, ordinance updated, and you know that. By that, so I had then by that point gone down to Richmond four times to fight 19 LGBT bills, and I was advocating in Prince William to get a non discrimination thing uh, updated. And the reason for that was like 10 years into my journalism career by that point, I could be professionally neutral, and that was fine, you know, and I can do that as a reporter. And to this day, right now, if any member of, you know, any Democrat, you know, who sat down across from me in the way that you are right now from the House of Representatives were to show up here, I would grill that person just the same as I did my entire career. And I had the reputation of being the toughest interview in town in Prince William. And that was for good reason. You know, I earned it. You know, I worked really hard for that. Yeah. Um, and it's really funny watching a, a Democratic candidate walk up to 
shaking and going like, I've heard about you. <laughs> and like, it's just like, well, yeah, they were right. Um, but so, so, but yeah. you were, were you concerned about the appearance of bias as we were kind of talking about? Yeah, earlier. I was, I was very concerned. I didn't come out much earlier in my career because I was so, so terrified of the idea that my neutrality and my journalistic integrity would be called into question yeah. because like, well, if you're transgender, then that means you must support the democratic party and you must support democratic candidates and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, I'm still capable of being a good, decent reporter. You do know I'm trained and right. just read my stories. Like my work speaks for itself. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a good reporter. You know, I, I do the job and I do it well. Yeah. And at that point, I didn't consider myself a Democrat until January 3rd, 2017, the day I announced my candidacy. <laughs> really? Wait, did you register? No. So was, no, no was, in Virginia, was, we don't have party registration. So, okay. no, I was an independent. So, you know, I would vote in, you know, whichever primary I felt like because, like, I always defaulted to voting in a Democratic primary if there was a Republican party or competing with it, and you can only choose one. But if there was not a Democratic primary going on at the same time as a Republican primary, I had no problem waiting into the Republican party because, or Republican primary because it would be like, well, one of them, you know, uh, if I'm in a district where there's not going to be a Democratic you know, nominee that fall, this is the general election, you right. know, go vote. Or because let's just say it's 2011 and there's a state Senate Republican primary and you think it's hilarious to write in George Takei. And <laughs> let's just say you decide among well, friends like that you're going to actually do it. Body. And then you go down to vote and you said, hey, where's the write-in option? And then they tell you, oh, there's no write-ins for um there's no write-ins for primaries and then the following year and so like i didn't vote like i just like clicked next and like walked out right and then the following year newt gingrich fails to qualify in 2012 fails to qualify for the virginia ballot in the republican primary and then says well we're gonna wage the most aggressive writing campaign virginia's ever seen and i said uh no you're not and I was writing for National Journal at the time for the hotline. And so I put out a story saying, no, you're not. It was like, because that's against the rules. Two candidates qualified for the Virginia ballot, but Romney and Ron Paul, and that's it. And so I entered that primary and voted in that one because there was, again, the Democratic primary going on. And what Mitt Romney had done to LGBTQ couples when he was governor of Massachusetts was – in the actual sense of the way uh, of the word, actually deplorable, as opposed to remind s- us what what he did. Yeah, well, no, he had been absolutely horribly cold-hearted to gay couples in Massachusetts, which um, was the first state to permit. Uh, yeah, right. right. It happened under his watch, yeah. despite him. Yeah. And you know, just read Mark Solomon's book, Winning Marriage. And I mean, like that will really, really, really tell you what was going on in Massachusetts, like, and just how terrible he was to LGBTQ people in the first place. And I mean, so instead of using the word deplorable to, you know, attack your constituents or your future constituents when you're running for office, I use it in the in the phrase of the action that you took and singling out and stigmatizing your constituents as governor, the people who are basically asking you for mercy and asking you for their rights right. and to, for you to just be that cold hearted and terrible toward them. That is deplorable. And yeah. so, you know, that's the way that I phrased it. Well, and speaking of deplorable, let's talk about the guy you ran against, yeah. uh, uh, Bob Marshall, the, the, the guy who had been there for I 13 I do not attack terms. my constituents. Okay, well, well Just, I'll let, you can let nope. me do it. He, he called himself the uh, chief homophobe. Uh, over the years, he had sponsored a bill that would have banned uh, transgender folks from using the bathrooms. He wanted to uh, ban LGBTQ uh, folks from the military. And he kept referring to you as a he um, during the race. How do you... How do you separate 
I mean, how do you not get personal in a race like that? When he got so personal, and and is, you, you referred to the it most negative with your, attack with your that I made was you are awful at your job. <laughs> that was like that was literally the worst nastiest thing that I said the entire campaign. But you made a conscious decision yeah. to say this is what I'm going to write about. I've been covering these issues for years. Mm-hmm. You you found your route 28. Tell tell me about. I found my Route 28 yes. well, because my mother's been yes. commuting up and down it since 1979. <laughs> that's why. That, that, and he that just, one's he easy. did nothing to fix it. Marshall did. The way that, uh, again, I do not text my constituents. Yes. But uh, what I will. That's right, because Marshall is technically a constituent. Not now. technically. He is a constituent. Is a constituent. Yes. We live two miles apart. Wow. We've, we've met. <laughs> you know, like, at the Starbucks for nine what? years. <laughs> no, I, I, the last time we saw you, I've seen him one time since the campaign ended. Just at a. Um, there's a development, a proposed development on a farm literally across the street from his house. And uh-huh. so, like, I just went over and, you know, like, went to Single Hill Elementary School in Manassas and just, like, uh, I, I addressed the uh, Mid-County, um, you know, like, homeowners, like, just basically uh-huh. Mid-County Civic Association. Uh, you know, he showed up at that. I didn't talk to him, but, you know, I haven't talked to him since, like, declared my candidacy last year. You know, is what it is. You know? Yeah. But, um, you know, the way that I saw that was... I have my message. I am going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to my policy message. I'm going to stick to talking about the issues that my constituents care about. Right. And I'm not going to do it in the really vague way that Democrats traditionally in Northern Virginia had been terrible at, which is they'll talk about transportation. Well, don't talk to me about transportation. Tell me about what you are actually going to do. In my case, I said, I'm going to fix Route 28 by replacing traffic lights with overpasses using the $300 million that the MVTA has saved on this, on doing this, blah, 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 blah going through this. 2,400 word platform that I wrote up personally because that's what you do at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're full of anxiety and it's you know December and you realize you're about to you know announce a candidacy um, and it was just like I looked at this like okay when you look at my uh, my website yeah I talked a lot about Route 28 in there I wrote yeah. a lot about transportation I wrote a lot about economic development and then I wrote a ton about education I am never asked by reporters in any form of depth whatsoever about education policy ever. Why it, do you think that is? Because they don't care. Because it's uh, because when you look, the one reporter put it that, or no, no, it wasn't actually a reporter. It was just a, in a, like a, a college professor put it that my race was basically um, catnip for reporters, and it's just like. You just look at the the headline. My God, trans woman runs against author of bathroom bill and <laughs> the constitutional amendment that banned marriage equality. Is so it's it, it, it oh. just that's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, that's a clickbait and, headline. For yeah, real. of yeah, course it is. Yeah, and so yeah. the way that I've been introducing myself to people, or you know, like uh, when I do public speaking, is hello, my name is Dana Karam, or if you're Washington Post web editor, transgender candidate, and you know, <laughs> blah blah blah. And I've been using that to just kind of like poke fun because yeah. for the longest time. I didn't have a name in media stories, even though I was being covered every day. It was just transgender candidate does this and transgender yeah. candidate does that. And I was just like, you know, um, my name is Danica, <laughs> if you ever are you know, interested. Um, but this, this so, resonated with voters. Yeah, well, here's, here's what I, d- I did with this. Being a reporter, I know what other reporters you know, want to hear and, what, and why, why am I getting so much national attention. I get attacked in the campaign for telling Cosmo – I know I'm getting national attention. I'm not stupid. That was actually used against me. I was just like, really? Uh, Stating the obvious? Okay. (laughs) Well, okay. So what I decided to start doing was, okay, if you're going to ride with me or if you're going to do the story with me, then 
that's fine. You want to talk, you want to do the trans story. Fine. We'll, we'll do the trans story. That's fine. But we're going to do it while we're stuck in traffic on route 28. You're going to sit in the passenger seat of my car and we're going to drive up and down here. And I did that with NPR. I did that with channel nine, uh, <laughs> on for television. And I did that with AFP. Um, where we literally sat in traffic on Route 28. And I did it with Vice, actually, um, when Broadly did their, you know, the clothing documentary. So, yeah, four times sat on Route 28 traffic. <laughs> so that, so you yeah. frame the story because you, yeah. as a reporter, you know how to frame a story. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. So you know, it's like... The, it was, and it's still like... And it's just like, well, yeah, but does Danica really care about that? Yes! <laughs> like... The fastest way for the Republicans to get rid of me is to actually fix Route 28. When it's done, peace. So what, I, I'll have a so life again. You, so what is happening with – not that it concerns any of our core listeners probably, but what is happening with Route 28 now? Oh, hard emojis. Um, <laughs> so right now uh, – on Wednesday this week, there was a work zone um, that was established we're, for we're a lane, for a lane, for a lane, lane okay. shift north of I-66 between Braddock Road and Westfields Boulevard. That's going to be part of the upcoming um, Route 28 uh, uh, I-66 interchange project that's under development. And basically the point of that is to eliminate four traffic lights and turn into a diamond interchange design. That happens in Centerville, well, basically north of Centerville going up toward Chantilly. South of there, you've got a number of traffic lights at Old Centerville Road, at Macon, uh, Macon Road, uh, New Braddock Road. And uh, the one near Centerville Elementary School is really difficult to deal with. That's a different story. And then Compton Road, those are the ones in Centerville. Followed Once you get into Prince William County, the one lights at Orchard Bridge Drive, uh, Yorkshire Lane, Leland Road, uh, Maplewood Drive, and Browns Lane. And wow. my proposal is to get rid of all those traffic lights and find alternative intersection designs for each of them. And so if you're in Yorkshire, that basically means allowing VDOT to conduct a study, which is a bill I put in HJ68, to examine, you know, what, you know, to study basically putting in traffic circles or overpasses or in the South Bay left-hand turn lanes at Orchard Bridge. Um, instead of having two left turn lanes at the light, taking that light out and having one ramp that would lead over into that apartment complex in the first place where the complex is so far back, you've got enough uh, right of way in existing pro- property that you can use it without having to take out any homes to oh deal with God, it. And then like, for the yes. other ones, once you get okay, over stop, to... Uncle, stop, Uncle, no, Uncle, no, no, please stop. Uh, <laughs> okay, please stop. We didn't even talk <laughs> about how there's across <laughs> I, in the elementary school at Centerville, there's a power stop. station that makes now. it for... Yeah, we gotta yeah. stop. That was, that was wonderful. But, this, the, I mean, yeah. so you're, you're deep into the weeds and all this stuff. That's, that's, uh, that's really yeah. uh, fascinating. Did... Um, I want to ask one, one last thing is... Uh, You've been, you know, hailed as a uh, as a hero to many trans kids around the country and role model and all that stuff. Are you still feeling? Are you still hearing a lot of transphobic stuff? Either yeah, social media. Yeah, I hear it personally. all the time. Do you, but is it confined to social media? Or are you hearing it like in the district? My constituents never ever have mm-hmm. said any of that stuff to my face. Nothing. Uh, you don't. I, I knocked it's on. All, it's all from from far away. Let's we'll, we'll see if I can get the, the sound of the sign like for it. All right, that's the sound of my Velcro coming off my shoe. I don't have treads left in the bottom of my shoes, okay? I knocked on that many doors. Yeah. That's, you accept, was it 70 My campaign doors? knocked on 75,000 doors total. Wow. Um, there's, there's between the primary that. and the general election, yeah. Wow. And, that's like the district twice, Well, so here's the thing, and if you've ever worked on a campaign and you're actually good at your job, you'll understand this. Knocking on every door, every tart, first off, when you are in elected office, you serve all of your constituents, no matter how they identify, whether they are conservative or progressive, Republican, Democratic, mm-hmm. independent. If any of my constituents, whether they agree with me or not or I agree with them or not, 
you know, has a constituent service request. It's my job to fulfill it. When you are campaigning and you're trying to bring out your voters, then you target the doors of the people who are going to support you. I mean, that's right. basics. Uh, that's campaigning 101 mm-hmm. is bring out your report, you know, your voters, because yeah. you know that the other side is going to be doing the same thing for, you know, their supporters. And then, you know, and you, you see how it goes. Right. Right. So the way that I saw this was in uh, the way that you know, my campaign explained it to me, my campaign manager explained it to me, it was like, we're not going to just knock on every door one time. You knock on every door until you get to yes at every door, mm. <laughs> all, all of your targeted doors. So that if you knock on a door six times and to get to yes, well, then you're going to knock that door six times to get to yes. You know, yeah. so maybe not today. Maybe I'll come back next week or come back yeah. next month or come back whenever it is. And we have to do that, you know, throw 18 precincts, you know, so it's, it's a lot of work. You know? Oh, and you have to really want it. You, yeah. There's nothing. You mean, I didn't. Yeah, that that, you I was a full-time it. candidate last year, and yeah. I'm a full-time delegate. Yeah. Like this is my job, and even though it's a part-time legislature, this is my job. I'm a delegate. Yeah. Isn't it, it, it yeah. seems wild to it's say? It's a job that pays seventeen thousand six hundred forty dollars. Oh my god! So yeah. what do you do to to make ends meet? Well, do you have um, a second job? So I'm not going to get a full-time second job. Um, I've pledged to the people of the 13th district that I would be a full-time delegate, and you know, like. Delegates also get a per diem when they're in session, two hundred three dollars a day. So that certainly helps me you know, make the you know make ends meet in the short term. Um, and you know, like I said before, you know, last year I explained I'll write a book, and so you know, are you are you actually going to be doing yeah, it? like yeah, the title is transgender candidate writes book. <laughs> <laughs> if a book yeah, can have clickbait, I'm, I'm it'll going to <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going. It's going to lampoon the media coverage I got. You know, and that's part of the ti- you know point of the title. But like, <laughs> like so, like yeah, you know, like. I'm a writer, you know, and like, and it's like, I got attacked in a mailer last year. It says, Janica Rome wants a book deal. Let's rephrase that. Well, career reporter wants to keep writing. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like, yeah, I can't write for the newspapers anymore because I'm an elected office and that'd be a conflict of interest. That would be weird, yes. So what is someone who has a degree in journalism and 10 and a half years of reporting experience to do? Oh, I guess. Oh, I don't know. Write do, a book. But do you have a contract, and is that? Or are we? Uh, I, I have an agent, but okay. you know, I, you know, I've talked to, but I don't have a contract yet. Okay. Yeah. That is why this has been fascinating talking to you. Thanks for coming in. And Thank being you so on. much it's for chatting with me. Yeah. And for those um, who are out there and they would like more information about yeah, my campaign, please plug away. Please visit um, Danica for delegate.com, D-A-N-I-C-A-F-O-R-D-E-L-E-G-A-T-E.com. You can go to the brand new and improved Dana, uh, delegate danicarome.com, D E L E G A T E D A N I C A. That's C, not K R O E M. Or you can just go to danicarome.com. <laughs> Thank you, Danica, for being here on It's All Cheers. Political. Thank you so much, Joe. Wow, that was a tour de force. Metallica would be proud of that show. And I'd like to thank Danica for coming on. I'd like to thank Peter Hartlaub for producing this podcast and for knowing all of the heavy metal references that Danica was was dropping. And I'd like to thank you for listening because no matter what gender you are, it's all political. All right. So, okay, well, so now we have the outtake, outtake this section. This is the yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, bet. So, this you, Danica, you just we're looking through as we're looking through uh, the folder of uh, Metallica photos. You said you got your work ethic from Metallica. Yeah. So when I was uh, when I was a teenager, 
I remember watching Behind the Music uh, with Metallica. I think it was Behind the Music. Um, and I remember this woman um, talking on there about how no matter uh, how many fans there were, that Metallica would always, they would pose for every photo, they would sign every autograph, and that they were just like, you know, the most accessible band to fans, right? And that always really, really stuck with me. And so now I'm at this point in my career where, you know, after having been a heavy metal vocalist for, you know, you know, better part of, you know, a dozen years, um, having been in public spotlight for a long time and but now really being in public spotlight and, you know, being a local delegate who has a national profile, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I do events now where, you know, like I'll have just like a even though we don't have an actual rope, it'll be like a rope line of people waiting to talk to me for two hours and sometimes like three hours at a time. And I go back to that Metallica work. I will shake every hand. I will have every conversation and I will take every photo until they kick us out. You know, that's good. Why is that important to you? That's really important because one of the things that you, there's a lot you can learn from heavy metal that um, would be really good for politicians to know. Um, and for candidates to know, which one of it is that authenticity matters. No one will listen to your band if it's not coming from the heart. That's, that is a pure part of just being in metal and people will rip you apart the second that it's not. And at the same time, um, what's important with that is if you've ever gone to a show, you go see one of your favorite bands and then you meet that band and they're rude to you, they're mean or they're neglectful, they just won't talk to you they're distant they're cold they're whatever it is maybe you still end up you know the songs are still the same for you maybe it is but a negative impression of the band will color how you listen to the music and it will affect you but if you meet a band and they're super nice they're really cool to you and they take all the time in the world to talk to you and form a connection with you and when you go to the next show and the third show, maybe it takes a while for them to remember you. But then after a while, they start saying, hey, Joe, how are you doing? It's good to see you. You know, you're on the guest list or whatever. That band you will love for the rest of your life. And in, pol- in politics, when you're a public figure who does a lot of public speaking, and I do a lot of public speaking, that becomes really, really important. That idea of accessibility and even if you're having a 10-second conversation and where someone comes up to you, oh, my God, can I take a picture? Yeah, sure, sure. Hey, well, what's your name? Oh, I'm Laurie. Laurie, I'm Danica. It's really nice to meet you. Oh, I know who you are. Well, I'm not going to deprive you of an introduction, you know, like just, hey, well, you know, where are you from? Uh, oh, well, I'm from right down the street. Oh, cool. What, what, what do you do here? Yeah. But you yeah, draw just, a personal boundary or draw a line when people when you know because some bands have to draw a line. Yeah, you know, of course. A, well, know, I mean, like you have a timeline. You know, mm-hmm. and you, if, when it's time to go, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. I usually don't have to worry about a running bus outside and you know, like you know, <laughs> a whole bunch of stagecraft and stuff and being told, all right, we need to get you off to the next <laughs> get show. The or flash pots but what uh, does happen for me frequently though is it's not so much that the line is too long; it's that. Danica, you're talking too long, too much to too many people. You need to cut that out, and you, you need to shorten your conversations because we got to get to the next person. But yeah. ENFP personality type, I like having genuine connections with people. Right, that's like incredibly important to me. And like today, it was a woman comes up to me in the bathroom. I'm brushing my teeth right before I get on stage. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> uh, well, no, it's not the good best time, but I'll take a photo of the outside. You know, <laughs> it's like, and she was waiting for me outside. She's and she was so um, nervous or shy or whatever it was. And I said, hey, well, did you want to take the photo? 
yes, yes. I've become really, really keen at being able to tell when someone is too nervous to ask the question because they don't want to be um, perceived as intruding or perceived as being pushy or whatever. Um, So I just asked it for them. I'm like, yeah, did you want to take a photo? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just like, it's not rude to to ask. That's fine. Like, I was at Equality Virginia's Commonwealth dinner, and I was trying to eat my, you know, just a mushroom that is like a portobello mushroom sitting on this, uh, you know, uh, on this uh, plate. And over and over and over and over again, Danica, I don't want to be that person who interrupts your dinner, but can I take a photo? I'm like, yeah, like uh, it's work. I'm here for work. This is, this is the work <laughs> ethic part. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You can, you can do that. <laughs> well, God, thank you so much. That was a, that was a great addition. Yeah. I appreciate that.